0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday, and today we talk with Ed Livo of Tomorrow's Harvest about a delicious, sweet, crunchy white peach. It's called the Ivory Angel. Master food preserver Laura Doyle tells us what to do with all the apples you might be harvesting this month. How about making some apple jelly? Plus, she goes over the basics of using a water bath canner. And Professor Debbie Flower explains USDA zone maps. It's all on episode 55 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you by SmartPots and Tomorrow's Harvest. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday here on Garden Basics, and what sort of interesting fruit do we have for you today? Ed Livo from TomorrowsHarvest.com is with us, and he brought with him an ivory angel white peach. Oh, it sounds like a really white peach, Ed man,
1: it is very white, stark white. I mean, this is a fantastic variety of white flesh fruit. And it's a really, really great winner because this is a complex white fleshed fruit, really not just the straight sugar bomb that so many white flesh f- uh, fruits are. This one has a tint of acid. So it is absolutely the perfect midsummer treat to just kind of you know every bite give you that little burst of flavor that this slightly acidic highly sugared fruit does give you
0: and it's uh, widely adaptable too at uh, USDA zone 6 through 9
1: 6 through 9 and it also um has low chill uh, adapt- adaptation too is actually uh, does well in um uh zone 9 in the uh, areas of course that get um somewhere between let's say 4 to 600 hours of chill um performs very well there
0: So let's explain to people what we mean by chill hours. Uh, Deciduous fruit trees need a certain number of hours, basically between 32 and 45 degrees during November, December, January, February. Why
1: do they need chill hours? um actually it's to accumulate or, or to accumulate the carbohydrates to sustain the carbohydrates so that um, they have plenty to flush and burst out with in the uh, spring if not they will just burn them off slowly um um if if in low chill climates uh, trees have trouble going to sleep and so they burn off a lot of the carbohydrate just in dropping leaves and you know just take forever and so a lot of peaches and nectarines plums apples not so much apples apples do well everywhere but um they they have trouble you know not being able to to accumulate enough uh winter chill and i'm a big believer in the winter chill being very very important in the beginning of the season so i'm really winter chill accumulated for me is winter chill accumulated between the months of say uh november and then maybe up to mid january and i don't know how much i value the uh chill collected after mid January, to be perfectly frank.
0: Well, I think a lot of researchers would agree with you there because they've come up with a totally different system. Well, not totally different. It's a tweaked system. It's not chill hours, it's chill units. And what that takes into consideration, besides the hours or the temperatures between 32 and 45 degrees, the number of hours accumulated there, they will subtract the hours. During warmer days, where during the winter, the daytime temperatures get over 65 to give you a more accurate representation of what's happening with that tree.
1: Right and that's in a more appropriate gauge of what the accumulated chill is. For instance, you know, if I'm talking about like UC Irvine where my colleague uh, Tom Spellman has done a lot of work with apples, I've always been under the uh, uh, I've always had the impression that apples required no chill at all and Tom has done the research to really kind of support that. And it's it's ironic that down in UC Irvine he gets what we uh, you know kind of jokingly refer to as IOU chill, you know, by the end of the season you know, he may have negative 20 hours chill.
0: Chill hours is not really garden basics, but there you learn something new, folks. For people who live in uh, the northern latitudes, you don't have to worry about chill hours. You get plenty, you know, 1,000, 2,000 hours. In USDA Zone 9 especially, though... You may be struggling to get 800 chill hours. And most fruit trees do well with 800 to 1,000 chill hours. And when you get down into 400 to 600 hours, that just expands the range for those deciduous fruit trees.
1: Oh, especially those folks in 9B. You know, 9B is, you know, now you're down into below 500 hours.
0: And 9B would be basically Southern California.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, down the L.A. Basin and those areas. So, you know, we're, we're really talking, in, in the case of the, the Ivory Angel White Peach, this is a, a variety that is really adapted to a broad range of climates. You know, Zone 6, you get the high chill, like you say, and it's not an early bloomer under those conditions, but, but it will uh, react and bloom um, in a timely fashion in the low chill climates and produce a great crop. Um, this is a really, really neat piece of fruit because it's crunchy when it's firm and sweet. Um, So for those people who like a firm, crunchy peach, it's right there. But it really still is wonderful when it's soft, ripe, and that juice just flows down your arm, man. I mean, it's still a wonderful piece of fruit (laughs) then. So a long harvest period as well to enjoy this this fruit from mid-July, say, you know, to the early weeks of August.
0: It's the Ivory Angel White Peach, if you want. By the way, it's a freestone peach, too, isn't it? It
1: is a freestone peach. You got it.
0: All right. That means the pit falls right out. It's the pits. All right. The Ivory Angel White Peach. You want more information about it? You can find it at TomorrowsHarvest.com. The Ivory Angel White Peach. Fabulous Fruit Friday with Ed Livo. Ed, thanks so much. You're very welcome, Fred. smart pots are the original award-winning fabric planter they're sold worldwide smart pots are proudly made 100 in the usa smart pots are also bpa free there's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil your herbs vegetables and other edibles that's why organic growers prefer smart pots smart pots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants pots come in a wide array of sizes and they can be reused year after year. Speaking of the cold weather that's on the way, if a frost or freeze is in the forecast... Moving your frost tender plants that are in the smart pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information about the complete line of smart pots lightweight fabric containers. It's smart pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred for more info and that special farmer fred discount on your next smart pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Here on the Garden Basics podcast, we like to say if you grew it, now eat it. But what do you do if you got so much fresh product you don't know what to do? You preserve it so you can enjoy it all fall and winter or next spring or for Christmas gifts or whatever. So we're going to be talking on this program a lot during the fall and winter about home preservation. We're going to be talking about canning, which, by the way, isn't cans, it's jars, freezing, drying, maybe curing and smoking, fermenting, pickling, and what we're going to talk about today, making jams, jellies, marmalades, things like that. We're talking with Laura Doyle. She's a University of California certified master food preserver, based in Yolo Solano County. She's also a cooking instructor and a personal chef. Laura, thanks for spending a few minutes with us and telling us about uh, how to do all this and, and save the harvest. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> Happy to help. All right. Well, let's talk right. about maybe something that's in season right now, and that would be apples. Mm-hmm. What equipment do I need?
2: So for apples, you're really looking at either a, a jelly or a applesauce. And so the equipment that you're going to need for an applesauce, which is sort of, or an apple butter, which is sort of like a an apple jam, um, is you're going to need your apples, a peeler, some knives, chop it all up, put it in a pot, boil it down with with uh, sugar and pectin. You're going to want to find. an actual recipe that's been um, tested. So the good place to look for that is the National Center for Home Food Preservation website. On there, you can find recipes for, for all these things.
0: Yeah, that website that Laura mentioned is the National Center for Home Food Preservation. It's run by the University of Georgia. It is probably the most complete home food preservation website that you can find. All the information on it is free it is NCHFP, which stands for National Center for Home Food Preservation, nchfp.uga for the University of Georgia edu. And from there, you can go to uh, uh, wherever you want to go as far as finding out about canning, freezing, drying, smoking, fermenting, pickling and jams and jellies as well. Another good source is the University of California Master Food Preserver Program website. MFP.ucanr. That stands for University of California Ag and Natural Resources. Edu. MFP.ucanr.edu. And there you can find all sorts of recipes and preservation information. They even have a, a new category called the Recipe Card Library. And from there, you can get all sorts of good recipes for fruits and nuts and vegetables, herbs, tomatoes and a lot more. So check that one out, mfp.ucanr.edu. So Laura, let's uh, harvest some apples and talk about making apple jelly.
2: Yeah, so um, what you're going to need to do first is you're going to need to make juice, basically. So um, for the apple jelly, you're going to be chopping up the apples. Don't peel them, don't core them, just chop them up, bring them to a boil with some water, cook them until they're nice and soft mash them up and then you're going to pour them into a jelly bag and the jelly bag sits and drips and then you've got this beautiful apple juice which you could drink um or you could make into jelly and if you're going to make it into jelly um if you're following the um, national center for home food preservation recipe um you're using um apple juice lemon juice and sugar and that's really all you need because as i mentioned before the apples themselves have a lot of pectin in them so they're a There is something that you can make a jelly with without any added pectin. So it's just the sugar and the lemon juice.
0: I noticed that the uh, National Center for Home Food Preservation mentions on their apple jelly recipe that about four cups of apple juice includes about three pounds of apples mm-hmm. and uh, three pound, and three cups of water. Now, you mentioned, did you say an apple bag or a jam bag?
2: A jelly bag, yeah. Jelly so bag.
0: What What is yeah. a jelly bag?
2: It's kind of like a muslin bag that has a stand and put the muslin bag on the stand and you Put all of your fruit in it and it drips into a bowl.
0: With this recipe for apple jelly, is it going to involve canning?
2: Yes, it will. So once you've got your juice, you measure out four cups and then you put that into a pot and add lemon juice and sugar. So for this recipe, if we've got four cups of apple juice, we're using two tablespoons of lemon juice and three cups of sugar and you're going to boil until the, the jelly sets. And the way to test that is you put a little bit, you put a, if you put some cold spoons in the freezer, then you can, as you're ready to test it, turn off the heat, take a little bit of the jelly, drop it in onto the spoon. When you kind of push it, with your finger on the cold spoon because the cold makes it kind of firm up a little bit. It should kind of wrinkle a little bit instead of spreading to the sides. We need to make sure that our, our jars are very, very clean and sterile. Um, the best way to do that is to wash your jars with some really hot, soapy water. Wash also the rings and the lids. And you need to make sure that you use a, a brand new lid for each time that you make jam. So if you're you can save the jars. And you can save the metal rings but the the lid that attaches to the jar, that's a one-time use thing. So you have to get new ones of those. And you can buy those just separately. They, they come with just the rings and the lids.
0: People would be surprised about how easily it is to find the jars and the rings and the lids. They're at most grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there, in that same section, you're going to find, if you need it, the pectin. Right. And some bigger grocery stores may even have the water canner. And you do yes. need that, that big uh, canner with the rack to hold the jars uh, with mm-hmm. the boiling water.
2: You need to be able to put your jars in the in the canner and make sure the water comes goes over the canner by a few inches so it can't just be barely covered. It really needs to have a good amount of water above it. Before you fill your jars, you want to, when you're cleaning them, if they're jars that you have, even if they are new jars, it's a good idea to check. Just run your finger along the top of it just to make sure that there's no chips. The tops are clean, then you're setting the, the lid on, screwing the ring on, and you want to screw it on um, just what we call fingertip tight. So you just kind of loosely spin it on there, and then you kind of, once it stops by itself, do one more turn so that it's not really, really screwed on tight, because that can kind of The lid can end up warping a little bit if Mm -hmm. you screw it on too tight. If you leave it too loose, you know, contents can come out. One thing I've
0: learned from personal experience is if you and you can keep your rings from year to year is check the inside of the rings for rust. You don't want any rings that have uh, obvious rust on the inside if you can't scrub it clean because uh, that will interfere
2: with a good seal. Definitely. Yeah.
0: When people are using water bath canners, it seems like every fruit or vegetable has a different processing time, the amount of time you leave it in the simmering water. And what is it for an apple jelly recipe?
2: So for apple jelly recipe, um, it is five minutes. Once it has finished canning, you want to leave it in the canner for another five or 10 minutes just to make sure. That's a, a recent addition to the recommended processing time. So you really? Just want to make-
0: You're making my grandma's head spin. Uh, <laughs> so it, when the timer goes off, set the timer again for another mm-hmm. 10 minutes. But yeah. but, it, but reduce the heat, I would imagine.
2: Well, yeah, you just turn off the heat. It just sits yeah. in the hot water. It just really ensures that everything is OK. And then you want to very carefully. You can get a jar lifter. Um, that's really the best tool for, for the job of lifting the contents out of a very hot pot of boiling water.
0: Yeah. And a, a jar lifter, for people who don't know, is actually like a pair of tongs that is exactly. sort of a semicircle that grabs mm-hmm. either side of the jar underneath screw portion. And uh, it, you just lift it and, and, and set it onto a towel.
2: Yeah, so just set it on a towel. If, um, and then you want to leave them undisturbed for 12 to 24 hours. Because, you know, if, if it sloshes at all, and the seal hasn't completely set yet, then you could disrupt that seal. So what I like to do is I put my towel actually on a sheet pan and then I move them onto the sheet pan and then I can very carefully lift the sheet pan and carry it to a table and set it down. And that way it's not taking up space on my counter for that. Ooh, that's a good idea.
0: Yeah. I like um, that. So should, should you refrain from poking at the lid to see if it took or not? Yes.
2: Oh. And, you know, so, so you really just kind of want to leave it be. You'll hear pretty quickly that little Ding! Which if you've ever canned anything, you know that sound. That's that, that yep. little like that tells you, oh, I did it right. It's, it's sealing. Um, and that's the little top getting sucked down flat. If after a couple of hours, um, there's one that doesn't have its seal, sucked down usually what i do is i just put that one in my fridge and that's the first one that we eat
0: we've been talking with laura doyle master food preserver in yolo and solano counties here in northern california cooking instructor personal chef you, you want to throw a plug in for your website
2: <laughs> um yeah so if i'm i have a website uh it's doilycooks.com l-i-l-d-o-y-l-i-e cooks.com it's got a blog and information's on all the stuff i do
0: all right laura doyle master food preserver cooking instructor personal chef we learned a lot thanks for a few minutes of your time
2: thank you so much for having me
0: For a gardener, fall is for planting. The air is cooler than summer. The soil warmer than spring. It's the ideal conditions for getting your home orchard started with the outstanding fruit and nut trees as well as berry plants from Tomorrow's Harvest. And that includes that flavorful and productive Ivory Angel White Peach, a Tomorrow's Harvest exclusive. Tomorrow's harvest fine line of fruit trees is the result of 75 years of development, testing, and growing. Three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality. All of these beautiful edible plants have been carefully cultivated for your home garden. Look for tomorrow's harvest fruit trees at better retail nurseries everywhere. And if your favorite nursery doesn't carry the ivory angel, white peach, or any of Tomorrow's Harvest's other fruit, nut, or berry varieties, you can order them directly from tomorrowsharvest.com. Let the Birchell family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape, and garden. It's tomorrowsharvest.com. It's goodness you can grow. <music> talk about the different growing areas on this show a lot. We usually refer to the USDA zones. Well, how are those determined? Let's talk to our favorite retired college horticultural professor Debbie Flower and find out. Now, usually when people look at a USDA zone map, there will be a list of temperatures, for instance, zone one. And I don't think I'd want to live in zone one because the temperature there says uh, 60 below zero to 50 below zero. Whereas here where we are in California, zone nine, uh, the temperature reading it says 20 to 30 degrees. Now, is that the extreme low it reaches or an average low?
3: It's the extreme but it's the average of the extreme. So they look at data over a period of time. The map I'm looking at is, uh, what, 30 years of data, and they average the very lowest. So So for zone nine, it's 20 to 30 degrees, but it doesn't mean it will never go below that. It's just an average.
0: How many times does it have to get to that low? Can just one time qualify you for that map?
3: I doubt it. I think it's probably a mathematical equation that they use to create that number, that degrees. So, if there were a few days, a few times in that thirty years where it hit eighteen, and maybe uh, a few times where it never got below thirty-two, when they did the math, they took the the lows for those thirty years, added them up, and divided them by the the thirty years. They came up with a number between 20 and 30 degrees.
0: What is nice is, I mean, I I thought living in zone nine was close to living in the Garden of Eden with average uh, wintertime low extremes being between 20 and 30 degrees. But there's also zones 10, 11, 12 and 13. And zone 13 has average extreme lows
3: between 60 and 70 degrees. Right. And that presents its own gardening problems. You don't plant Uh, things at this in summer that we would plant in summer because if they're 65 to 70, they may get up to 110 in summer. They may not. They may be very moderate because they're surrounded by water like an island would be. Um, So those are very, as you say all the time, all gardening is local. So those are very local situations and they have a whole bunch of different rules about when to plant and what their min and max temperatures are.
0: Really. And if you're looking at the extremes uh, for the 48 contiguous United States, it looks like maybe the Southern California, Southern Arizona stretch along with uh, South Florida and, and maybe in Brownsville, Texas, uh, their zone 10, maybe zone 11. But 12, right, 12, 12 and 13. Where would you find that? Hawaii?
3: I would guess. And Puerto Rico. Mm hmm. Uh, the the size of those states on and territory on my map are so small that I it's hard to tell what the colors are.
0: Yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm looking at where my relatives come from from North Dakota, and I'm I feel sorry for them. Uh, they're <laughs> they're in zone. It looks to be either zone uh, two or three. Woo-wee. Yeah, that's where the lows could be between thirty below and fifty below.
3: That's cold stuff.
0: Yeah. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. We have links to all our social media outlets, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, a link to the FarmerFred.com website. That's where you can find out more information about the radio shows. You remember radio, right? Now, if the place where you access the podcast doesn't have that information, you can find it all at our home podcaster, Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout Buzzsprout.com. Just look for the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You'll find a link to it in the show notes. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and, uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.